Proverbs 31 is probably one of the most popular passages in the Christian Bible. I recently observed that contemporary interpretations of this passage read almost like a Christian version of short skirt, long jacket. Or maybe we should call it long skirt, modest jacket. It reads like a wish list for a godly wife or maybe even godly husband if we're being progressive. And frankly, it seems just about as unattainable as its pop culture counterpart. The Proverbs 31 woman appears to work several jobs and not sleep, all while serving her husband and children. Still, many Christians hold this passage up as their to-do list or their gold set for wise, godly living. For others, especially women, this passage is the bludgeon that keeps us trapped in cycles of shame, guilt, and feelings of inadequacy. More universally, though, the tone of this passage exemplifies what many Christians have come to expect of our Bible, a sort of unattainable yet upbeat passage which kind, respectable people can use to tell other kind, respectable people to be kinder and more respectable. And if my memory serves me correctly, I believe I owe regards to Mark Twain on that one. One thing that I enjoy about our passage from Wisdom of Solomon is how much grittier it is. And in a time of COVID, misinformed anger, and general frustration with the state of our world, this passage just hits a little bit better, starting with our first verse. But the ungodly by their words and deeds summoned death. Considering him a friend, they pined away and made a covenant with him because they are fit to belong to his company. It seems to me that over the past year and a half, people have become much more familiar with the concept of death, both for themselves and for others. I am reminded of the evangelical provocateur Sean Foyt saying of his August 8th Portland rally with volunteer security, if you mess with them or our First Amendment right to worship God, you will meet Jesus in one way or another. I am also reminded of the Herman Cain Award, Herman Cain Award subreddit, where anonymous posters award celebrities and acquaintances who have scorned masking and vaccination and have subsequently passed away of COVID-19. And while I certainly do not mean to draw moral equivalents here, um, one appears to be an act of threat, um, and the other is still bad, but slightly less insidious um, post-mortem mocking, um, I do notice this common thread of seeing death as either the natural comeuppance for the opposition or even a tool to use against them. Another thing that I would like to point out from our Wisdom of Solomon passage is that in verse two, the author specifically highlights the unsound reasoning of the wicked, along with a brief description of their philosophy, which contemporary readers would likely refer to as a form of nihilism. 
Uh, I address the nihilism because many of my personal peers seem to retreat to nihilism at times as a way to comfort themselves in the idea that none of the things that bother them really matter in the long run. My intention here is not to present a fully fleshed argument against nihilism, but rather to draw attention to the work this passage does to point out one of its flaws. Um, moving forward, the wicked in this passage, and a little bit to summarize, are comfortable with the utilization of death to their own ends. Um, two, they behave irrationally. Uh, three, they have some sort of nihilistic tendencies. And four, they dislike the righteous specifically because of their righteousness. Now, we shouldn't eliminate the possibility that the righteous person or people in this passage are not at all self-righteous or high and mighty, but it appears that the primary motivation for the wicked to dislike the righteous is simply their righteous lifestyle. Going on to verses uh, 17 through 20, we have kind of point number five, that the wicked want to harm the righteous to test them and maybe even get some satisfaction in their suffering. And then finally, um, for our sixth point here, in verses 21 and 22, we see that the wicked are blinded by their wickedness. So in this passage, they are not well-meaning people who are misguided by their influences, um, but rather this passage is talking about kind of wicked people who have abandoned all desire to become good or righteous. They would rather accumulate pleasure and power for themselves because nothing really matters, and they might as well enjoy their ride to the grave. Most of us probably read this passage from the perspective of a righteous person, or at least someone who is trying to be righteous. For many of us, and definitely for me, this passage feels incredibly familiar. You know, when I put work into studying the environment and climate change, I find myself scorning people who treat the planet poorly, or as the dirty rotten church kids would say, uh, people treating their planet like a getaway car that they take to the next life with the intention of lighting it on fire when they get there. I get frustrated with people who ignore the impact that the military has on the climate while um, imploring people to not use plastic straws. Those who study philosophy may find themselves fixating on Plato's cave, whereby they see themselves as enlightened above-ground dwellers who struggle to get through to, uh, to cave dwellers staring at shadows on a wall. And those of us who try to make ourselves better and improve the world around us find ourselves frustrated with those who seem content with their current state of being and become hostile to those who might challenge that state either directly or indirectly. This feeling and situation is this melancholy state that I kind of refer to as self-righteous lament. It is this state of hope and hopelessness that comes from feeling that one knows a better way for the world and how to get there, but is powerless to bring it into practice, 
as if one is trapped behind a plane, ah, a pane of glass. Should drink more water before this. In light of this, I think that a slightly different interpretation of Proverbs 31 may be warranted here. Proverbs 31 is the last chapter in a book devoted to the study of wisdom. So it is easy to imagine that early readers of Proverbs would arrive at this passage carrying some self-righteous lament of their own. Furthermore, wisdom is personified as a woman throughout Proverbs, which could back up a more figurative reading of the passage. When I thought about this passage over the past week, it occurred to me that rather than be being an ancient Hebrew short skirt long jacket, Proverbs 31 could maybe be read in a vein similar to the movie Love Actually, or one of the maybe many subsequent movies where some sort of concept is demonstrated across different stories. Um, so to quote, so to adapt a quote from Hugh Grant's character, if you look at, if you look for it, I've got a sneaky feeling that you'll find wisdom actually is all around. There is wisdom in the person who seeks to do their partner good every day. There is wisdom in the person who seeks out new ways to feed nourishing meals to their family. There is wisdom in the person who carefully chooses where they're going to live and then grows a garden where they grow produce for their friends, their families, and their neighbors. There is wisdom in the person who takes care of their body and seeks to make it stronger. There is wisdom in the person who cares for the poor and the less fortunate. There is wisdom in the person who prepares their household for winter. There is wisdom in the person who seeks justice in the powers that be, but, is not, but does not conform to their ways. So while there are many wicked people out there who seem to have no desire to be good, we shouldn't get caught up in that. We should remember to pay attention to the many ways, great and small, extraordinary and mundane, that people are practicing wisdom and are practicing goodness in the world around us. Finally, I would like to close by revisiting Psalm 1, particularly verses 3 and 4. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Psalm 1 shows the righteous and the wise prevailing over the wicked, but not in a way that rules over them. 
Rather, the righteous are able to prevail despite the world around them, trusting that God's streams will provide for them and will ultimately provide the nourishment they need to demonstrate a better way of being to those around them.